today I want to continue something we started last week on what are you looking at. What are you looking at during the time of trial? What are you looking at as far as what the world is saying and what others are doing and, and appearances are suggesting? What, what are we focused on? And it's hard to stay focused on the invisible, right? We are, we are serving an invisible God. We, we, we serve a risen Lord, but right now we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And so how do you keep that faith alive? And last week uh, I mentioned, and I'll say it again, I'll repeat it uh, more than once today, hopefully, but what we look at can fuel your faith or it can drag your faith down. What we look at can fuel your faith or what we look at can drag your faith down. So it's all about what our focus is on. And the focus is what brings the fixing. If if we are focused in the right place. And I said last week that if you're focusing, if you fix your eyes on Jesus and you're not looking at the thing in front of you that's so threatening and daunting, whether that's a trial or whether that's temptation to sin or whether that's depression, I mean, we can easily start to look at those those thoughts that are hovering about us like swarms of bees, I, or maybe let's say mosquitoes. You ever get into a sort? You have to shoo them away. Say, get out, you know. Or the birds. You know, you you can't control the birds that fly over your head, but you can choose not to make a nest for them. You say, nope, not going there. Not doing that. So it's adjusting that focus, just like with a camera. You're not going to look at. You're going to put the other thing in focus, not the thing in front of you. And for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We, t- we can too for the joy set before us. That brings fixing. But today I want to talk about uh, not just fixing, but how it can be a consistent thing. In other words, how you can be proactive looking at the Lord. And being proactive means that you're not just reacting when a time comes, a challenge comes, and oh no, what do I do? I've got to focus, I've got to focus. Now, we want to get into this position where the focus is a lifestyle. And that uh, goes back to what I've been talking about, discipleship. Discipleship is a lifestyle of growing in the things of the Lord. And last week I said, and bears repeating this, not just growing in character. We've often uh, majored on talking about character, character, character. And we don't want to neglect character. You want to grow in holiness, But a lot of times, I think generally in the church, discipleship is focused on growing in holiness, but we don't talk about growing in faith and growing in power and growing in victory. And that's what Jesus came to give us. He came to make us holy, but he also came to give us victory because he gets glory when we get the victory. If he is in us and we are in him, there's no reason why we can't come forward in victory. And you already have. If you've placed your faith in Christ, if you've looked to him, you've already had victory. You've been saved from the clutches of hell, from damnation, from judgment. You've been saved. You've come into this relationship with Almighty God that most of the world doesn't know because it's still in the flesh, in the natural. And we sometimes have problems because we slip back into the flesh and the natural, but that's what discipleship is. It's getting more in the spirit and becoming a disciple, walking in faith and holiness and being proactive. So uh, the scripture I want to start with today about being proactive, we can see it in David in Psalm 16, verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me 
because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Now look at, you know, what happens when you set the Lord always before you? He's at your right hand and you shall not be moved. Wouldn't it be great to not be moved? I mean, how many of us get moved on a daily basis or on a weekly basis? You ever feel like you've been moved? It's, but if the Lord, look, look what happens. If you're not moved, you, you don't get shaken by the things that are shaken. You don't get tempted by, by struggles with sin. You don't get uh, thrown off course because something happened that you weren't expecting. You're not moved. Wouldn't it be great to not be moved? And the key word, the way to be proactive with this is always. David said, I've set the Lord always before me. If we can keep the Lord always, not just when we're in a trouble or in a trial or a fix that we need to fix by focusing. What if we just woke up and said, good morning, Lord. When you wake up, do you say, good morning, Lord, or do you say, good Lord, it's morning? (laughs) We have to say, good morning, Lord. And say, Lord, you're with me. I don't care how I feel, what's coming today. With you and me, I can get through this. And then as we go through the day, you know, I'm not saying that you always have to say, well, am I thinking about the Lord? Am I thinking about the Lord? But to have the Lord always before you is a mindset and a heart set. It's a heart set that you know who you are. I am his and you know who he is. He is mine. And, uh, And that keeps you in a place of faith. So how do we do this? How do we keep the Lord always before us? And there are two sides to the coin. And last week I gave you three items. Choose, refuse, and choose and refuse. If you don't know what that means, go back and listen to last week. But I want to give you a new, uh, a little bit extra on choosing and refusing. To keep the Lord always before us, you choose the pursuit of Christ. You choose the desire of God. You say, well, I don't desire the Lord as much as I feel like I should. Hey, welcome to the club. None of us do. Some of us get a little more and we grow and that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be growing. But wherever you are, whatever your desire level is for Jesus, you can grow. And and you can always pray, Lord, you've got to help me. I know that you're worthy to be desired. You're worthy to be pursued. And you pray and you ask the Lord, give me that heart. Give me that inclination to pursue you and desire you. Because that's the first part of it. It it is, uh, you know, when you're in a romance or something, you're pursuing the other person. That person is on your heart. And you may not constantly be floating in the air and just all the time, but but you've got a drive in which you, that person is first and foremost that you want to see some relationship develop and grow. It's the same with the Lord. And, and the way you can fall in love with Jesus is choosing to be in his presence, choosing to look at the word. But you have to read the word in a way that it's exciting your heart. A lot of times we can get into this study mode where we're reading scripture. We just have to pick all the the things and what's the background of this and what's the parsing of the Greek here and let's look up the commentaries and stuff. And that has its place. But if you want to fuel the heart, you have to go to, first of all, not something like Leviticus. Leviticus is useful and, and you can grow reading it. But if you're trying to fuel the heart, go to Ephesians or go to the Gospels and focus on it. And you pray and you say, Lord, touch my heart, change my heart through this feed Feed my spirit. I need to desire you more. 
And that is a choice of pursuit. And as you do that, as you focus on the word and meditate on the word, it becomes more habitual and you start to grow. But now refusing, you have to choose to pursue Jesus, but you refuse that which distracts you from that pursuit. Now notice I didn't say refusing sin. All right, Paige. Now, yes, we want you to refuse sin. But in this situation, I'm saying refuse that which takes you off the pursuit of Christ. Okay, what takes you off the pursuit of Christ? You know, what we have set the Lord always before us. What do we usually set always before us? Newspapers, Google, sitcoms, music, novels, all these things, magazines, the Internet, and all of it, uh, you know, it can be useful in, in some places. In other places, it, it's, it's totally wrong. But I'm saying that if anything is distracting you from the pursuit of the Lord, you need to put it in its place or get rid of it totally. Even a good thing, you know. You can watch Andy Griffith, and it's not a sin. <laughs> but, you know, if that's all you do and watch it all, you're, you're programming yourself and you're taking your away from the pursuit of the Lord. I'm not saying it's wrong to have diversions. Of course, we need to be entertained once in a while. But um, putting things away, there is power in putting things away. That's, this is what I'm talking about. If you want to be proactive and you're growing in your love walk with Jesus, you put away that which drags you down from it and which, which builds up things that are counter to the walk of Christ, the walk of victory, walk of love, walk of holiness. So I'll give you an example, a couple examples from my own life. You know, I used to pay attention more to politics. Boy, did we all pay attention to politics these past few years, right? But, you know, I, even back in the earlier days, uh, I, and I won't say any candidates or anything like that, but, but I read the blogs, and I would just be on the blogs in the morning. I didn't, you know, in the old days it was newspaper. Now it's the Internet. You get on the you coffee and look at the Internet. And I would get, go on the political blogs, only the political blogs that I agreed with, and uh, I'd just read it and get angry and angry. I'd get in a bad mood. I'd feel helpless. And... And my day would be sour and, and dour, sour and dour. And, and it was like that for so long until finally I got a, a light bulb moment. I said, hey, I need to stop looking at these things so much or period. And I, I totally stopped looking at these political blogs. And I walked around with much more peace and joy. In other words, I didn't have the anger that I was feeding. I didn't have the feeling of helplessness that I was feeding We're feeding our stuff with this. And I'll get even more transparent with you. Uh, When I was younger, as a new believer, I would come home from work and I'd turn on MTV. And MTV, uh, back in the old days, was just playing music videos. I don't know what it is today. I haven't seen it since the old days. But I know it's not just music. But I was watching MTV. I'd get home from work. I'd turn on MTV and I'd, you know, be done. And uh, at that time... I would be outside, go for a walk or something, and I would struggle with the temptation to lust. And I nor- normal men struggle with that. I guess normal women struggle with that too. But it was very difficult, and it was like, oh, it's so hard to be a Christian and, and to be, do the right thing and not have the wrong thoughts and things like that. And why is it so difficult? And I struggled with these things. And then 
I got the light bulb thing. I said, why am I watching MTV when they're parading all this, this imagery around that sort of feeds and fuels that? I turned it off, and I'm telling you that I didn't have half the struggle. In fact, the struggle went away. It's not like I never struggled again. Of course, you have struggles sometimes. But there's so much more power when you put away that which drags you down. And what you look at can fuel your faith or it can drag your faith down. And so this is an important thing. I didn't say choosing to refuse sin because most of us know we need to refuse sin. But how many of you know we need to refuse things that are just feeding ungodly ideas or worldly ideas, secular ideas, ideas that counter any hope? If you've got the news running in your house 24-7, you're going to have doom and gloom, and it's going to be in your head. If you're watching disaster films, horror films, you're going to have more temptation to fear or to panic when the going gets tough. But if you put these things away, there's power, and, and you fill yourself up instead with the hope and the promises of God's word, you've got victory, when you, and it's not even where you're trying and graining, gritting your teeth, trying to fight off these demons that are attacking your thought life. So I'm not saying you never struggle again, but I'm saying you have so much more power when you choose to pursue the Lord in a relationship, make it a, your foremost thing, and then you refuse that which drags you down from that pursuit. And it's all about being spiritually healthy, fit. You know, we talk a lot about fitness for the body. And we say you can't have too much sugar because if you have too much sugar, it's going to make you unhealthy and you're going to get overweight or sick or whatever. And, and then your body, you know, you can still function, but you feel lousy and you're fatigued and you don't know what to do because of your diet. And it's the same thing with your spirit. Your spirit can be dragging and loopy and down or it can be fit, healthy, and, and not be fatigued. It's a matter of what we feed ourselves, spiritually and physically. So I don't know if maybe somebody in here needs to go on a diet or at least to cut out some of your sugar. I mean, a little sugar is good. I mean, a little bit of Google is going to be okay, right? But when you have too And Andy Griffith is this great cup of tea. All right, but if you're drinking too much, you're going to get wired and crazy. So... Um, that's being proactive. And when you're spiritually fit, you're healthy. Let's look at uh, something in which there was a need for health in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. This is a, the story of the Israelites in the wilderness, and uh, they had trouble with snakes. If we can read this, it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So here they were. They were delivered out of Egypt. They were delivered out of a place of bondage. But yet, because of their own unbelief, they were going the long way towards the promised land. And yet they blamed it on God, and they said, Well, you know, the Lord delivered us, but here we are in the wilderness to die. And now, have you ever thought of this? God got you to where you are and has done work in your life to bring you to where you are, but then you get into a problem or a fix or a trial and you say, that's it, I'm done. We're, you know, why did God bring me out here to die? And that's just wrong. And I, I've been tempted to feel that way. I've, I think we all have been tempted to feel that way at times. 
God, why, what, is this it? Is this the end? But God's not anticlimactic. He doesn't bring us out of bondage into a wilderness to die. We may end up in a wilderness for a while, but it's on the way through. It's not the last place unless we choose the wrong things and we refuse the wrong things, those thoughts like that. And that's what they did. So they got punished. It said, then they journeyed... Uh, oh, no, let's go to the next verse there. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So there they're saying, We've done wrong, we blew it. When did they realize they did wrong? After they got bit. How come it's always like that? We, we don't realize it until we finally get bit. Man, I messed up. Or, you know, I'm telling you, if you can be proactive, you can avoid getting bit. If you can be clued in, we have more than those Israelites have. We have their history, their testimony. We have the warning of not following that example. And we have the good examples we can follow. We have everything we need to avoid getting bit. But even so... Getting bit, the Lord still has mercy. Even when the Lord punishes, he's still merciful. And you can petition him and he will save you. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone... When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Awesome spectacle here. Fiery serpents everywhere. Fiery being the color of the serpents and the poison of the serpents, if you read the commentators. And there were no, I mean, there must have been tons of serpents that so many people were getting bit and dying, and they cried out to God. God told Moses, put a serpent on the pole, and he made a bronze serpent, and... When they looked at that serpent, if they had been bit, they were healed. So God sent the punishment, and he did not take the punishment away. God is just. God is holy. He must follow through. And he didn't take the punishment away. But he provided a remedy. He provided a remedy. And all they had to do was become snake handlers. No, they had to learn how to tame snakes. They had to put antiseptic on their arms and let... No, they didn't have to do anything but look. Look. And, and that seems counter-intuitional, doesn't it? I've got to do something. I've got to shoo these snakes away and things like that. I've got to protect myself. He said, look. And when they looked, not looking at the snakes that were biting them, but looking at the unmovable snake on the pole that, was, that could not do anything, when they looked at that, they were healed. So all it took was a look, and that brought the remedy. That brought the healing. And instead of being tormented by the snakes, they, they saw the tormentors in an unanimated bronze figure on the pole. That means that when they looked, they saw their torment stifled. It was stifled, stopped, bronzed, unable, unanimated. It could not hurt them. It was on the pole. And that look of faith brought that healing. Now, here's the beautiful 
lesson in this. Jesus said in John 3, verse 14 and 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Why would Jesus make this comparison? He's actually saying that the Son of Man is being compared to the fiery serpent. Did you ever think of that? I mean, Jesus, holy, wonderful, glorious Jesus, is saying that I must be lifted up just as Moses lifted up that serpent. He's comparing himself, making the metaphor, analogy, or whatever it is. He's calling himself that serpent, so to speak. And we look at him like that serpent on the pole. Why? This, this is Jesus. This is, the serpent represents the devil, right? The serpent represents the curse. And God did not take the curse away from this world, but he, rep, he, he, he brought a remedy for the curse. He can't take away this curse until the end when Jesus returns. It makes all things new. But in the meantime, he takes away the curse. How? Galatians 3.13 tells us. Galatians 3.13 says that he redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In other words, Jesus became the curse. He wants you to look at him. He became the curse. He became your curse, stifled on the cross taken away from you and placed on the cross. He became the sin, the sickness, the shame, the fear, the anger, the loneliness, the depression, everything of the curse that the serpent represented, Jesus became that on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. He became the curse on the cross, that he would redeem us from the curse. We can't redeem ourselves. We look to ourselves, make ourselves greater and better and, and more holy. We can't do it. But when we look at him, that's when the healing comes, spiritually and physically, if you can look to him. If you can look to him, you will grow more in holiness by accident than you ever tried on purpose. If you can look to him, you'll be healed inside and out. If you look to him and see all your tormentors on that cross in him, it'll raise up worship in your life. You'll love him and want to be his forever. You'll want to serve him. You'll want to do everything because he took it all. He, he bore the sin, the wrath, the shame on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. And Isaiah 45:22 says, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Are you seeing your tormentors nailed to the cross? Are you seeing the fears, the sickness, the sin, the shame nailed to the cross? Look to him and be saved. Be saved, all of the ends of the earth. This is the message we carry. This is the mission. This is the kingdom of God. To all the ends of the earth, look to Jesus for your redemption, for your power, for your safety, for your keeping, for your salvation. This is the verse that won Charles Spurgeon. You know Charles Spurgeon? He went into a, he was just a kid. He went into a Methodist church and the guy was preaching on this very verse, Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And the preacher Saul Spurgeon in the back and said, there's a young man in the back of the church who will never find peace or calm 
and will never be anything but miserable unless he looks to Jesus. How would you feel? We got some visitors. What if I appointed to you the visitor today and said, <laughs> you know, what if we, and you, you get singled out like that? But that's what he did. He said, there's a guy that will never find any peace until he looks to Jesus. And then he said, young man, look, look to Jesus. And Spurgeon said, I did. And everything changed. And, you know, it's, it's a spiritual thing that, that came forward. And he got saved. And, of course, you know the rest of the story with him. But here's the thing. This verse is not talking just about an evangelistic call, a one-time look to Jesus to be saved. I see this as your go-to, your proactive uh, formula for being saved. If you are saved, be saved. Don't be dragged down. Don't be in bondage. Be saved. Well, how can I be saved? I've got all this stuff on my shoulder right now. Well, be free. Be saved. Well, I can't. There's so much that I have to deal with. Look to me and be saved. You still can deal with things, but if you're looking to Jesus, you can be free from the burden, from the bondage, from the darkness of it. And I think often that he's just waiting for us to look to him so that he can do something about what we're dealing with. But we need to be who we are. And when you look to Jesus, it changes the way you see yourself. Okay, I said to be saved, be who you are in Christ. What do we look at when we consider ourselves? Well, God can't bless me. God can't fix this because it's my own, my own fault. Well, it was their own fault in the wilderness, and God fixed it. If he fixed it for the blatant sin of the Israelites in the wilderness, how much more can he fix something that's your fault that Jesus died for and, and can still be seen on the cross for in that sense? God is a merciful God, and he has not brought us into the wilderness to die. But we have to look at ourselves as saying, I'm a candidate. All I have to do is look, look unto him, and be who I am. Who are you in Christ? You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your ministry or your lack of ministry. You're not defined by how you, you pale in comparison with somebody else. You're not defined by your past. Man, how many people can't get over their past? You're not defined by that. That's not who you are. You, you went through that. You're defined by the blood of Jesus shed for you in holy and eternal love from the foundation of the earth, the Lamb being slain, looking at you, enduring the cross for the joy set before you. You are defined by the love of God. And you say, well, I can't see, I'm not worthy. No one's worthy. That's the power of God. That's the power of the gospel. That's the good news. And the good news of the gospel is he changes your very core nature. You are loved. You made a mistake. You failed. You were, you were in a situation. It doesn't matter. All you got to do is look at him. And he has so much that he's done already at the cross that he wants to do more in your life if you'll just look at him. Follow him and not other people. Too often we follow others. What are we looking at? Other people and then Christian leaders, they fall and, and then people get all in a, oh, I guess the faith isn't working. I guess Christianity's a mess because so-and-so fell and another scandal here. You know, you're looking at the wrong people. You don't look at the people, the leaders even. You look at Jesus. Jesus hasn't fallen yet. He's not going to. All right, and Jesus can see us through. Narrow is the way that leads to life. 
and broad is the way of destruction. All this the Bible has told us to expect, but it has promised that if we look unto him, we will be saved. And it makes us his precious child. It makes us something incredible. You're not just a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner, but when you looked to Jesus, you got saved. And now you may still sin, but your nature is the righteousness of God. It's his work in you. First uh, Corinthians 6:17 says, "He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit." You think of your one spirit with him. This changes the way you receive from God forgiveness, power over temptation, blessings. If you can see yourself not as a, a beggar who's just a sinner that maybe he'll do something, but as the very one, a child of his family whom he loves so much that he gave his life for you, and if he who spared not his only son but delivered him up for us all, how much more shall he give all things to us? From Romans 8, 32, I believe. I mean, it changes how you see yourself. And one, one time I was on a flight from Springfield, Missouri to Chicago, a little commuter flight. Um, and there was a very powerful politician on this flight. And I don't want to say who it was because people might say, oh, I don't like him or, I, or, you know, or I don't know. But, you know, he was a big shot. I thought, is that so-and-so? Yeah, it's, it's so-and-so. And I thought, what in the world is he doing on this little dinky commuter flight from Missouri to Chicago? And I thought, doesn't he have his own private jet? I mean, he's famous. And uh, I, I guess he was in... Springfield for a book signing or something like that. And this little commuter flight didn't even have a first class section. It was just little tiny dinky thing. There he is on the flight. And I thought, man, well, that's it. Well, at least he gets out with the people, hey? And then I had this silly thought while I was on the plane waiting for the takeoff. I said, well, now I know this flight's going to make it because so-and-so's on the flight. (laughs) And then I thought, wait a second. That's a silly thought. And the Lord spoke to my heart said, this flight's going to make it because you're on the flight. And, and I'm not saying this to be, we don't speak arrogantly. It's a humbling thing. But the truth is, it is because you're on the flight that this flight's going to make it because the Lord Jesus is in you and you're more valued and loved than a high politician who may or may not know. I mean, if he knows Jesus, then he's loved. But you know, you are the special one, not that. And it's all kind of, what are we, we're looking at appearances or at spiritual reality. Philemon 6 says that the communication of your faith would become effectual by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. How do you look at yourself? Are you his? Are you cherished? Are you loved? You need to look at the good thing which is in you. We've been taught for so long, just call yourself a worm. And again... Uh, I don't make light of sin. I don't believe in sin. Sin is your worst enemy. Sin's going to be your biggest problem. But you're not to focus on your sin so much as you're to focus on the sun. And when you focus on the sun, that takes care of the sin, really. The more you look to Jesus, you be saved. That's your being. That's how you walk. That's how you go. So that is the power of the gospel. The gospel invites us to see ourselves in Christ. We see ourselves in Christ crucified. That's the old man, the old nature. See yourself in that. That old, struggling, miserable, old self has been crucified with Christ. 
Well, it feels like it's still around. Don't look at what it feels like. Look at what the Word says. Crucify with Christ. Then you have to see yourself risen. Not only crucified, that's the old part, but the new man is risen. And you see yourself risen with Christ. Seated with Christ, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. That means we have authority in Jesus to overcome things. And Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when you look at yourself, you're not just a beggar. You're a beloved child, crucified with him, risen with him, seated with him, and accepted in the beloved. And that fires me up. What you look at will fuel your faith, or you can look the other way and be dragged down at things that take you off the pursuit, or at less than the biblical description of who you are in Christ. Oh, I'm just a worm, and I can't expect anything, and why should God do anything for me? No, it's, it's thank you, Lord. You, you purchased it all for me. And you don't have to be a super saint to attain to this, to be proactive. You don't have to be a, a, a priest that goes away on a mountain and secludes him or herself. You don't have to have visions or mystical supernatural experiences. All you need is a heart set. Like a mindset, you need a heart set. Like a TV set, you turn the channel. Your heart set has channels, and you need to turn it, turn the channel to the God channel. And that's what it stays on. And as you go about your day doing your things, that's what's running in your heart. Or maybe it's your homepage on the Internet. Whatever Your, your homepage is Jesus. And you, it's a heart set. If you want to keep the Lord always before you, it, you don't have to be this crazy, wonderful, super strong Christian. You just have a heart that desires to keep him first. And you think of, too, that his heart has got you first. He is looking at you. And we could talk about, well, he's looking at you. What are you doing in private? Uh, he sees what you do in private. But he looks at you with a heart full of love, with a heart and a desire to raise you up and bless you, to forgive and to promote. It says in 2 Chronicles, I'll close with this, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's the heart set. And the rest of that is the other direction, right? But the heart set, if your heart is loyal to him, that's the, the eyes of the Lord, what is he looking at? He's looking to and fro, looking for that person whose heart is loyal to him. So, so he can do what? So he can show himself strong on your behalf. I want to hear more testimonies in church on how the Lord has worked in your life. I want to hear how strong he's been on your behalf. He's looking, he's waiting for someone who will be loyal to him who will keep him set first, who will put him always before their eyes so that he can show himself strong and he can perform his mighty works and wonders. And that's something to get excited about. That's why we're here. We want to see the Lord working. And uh, this is a battlefield. We have not got it easy out there. And I'm not telling you everything gets hunky-dory easy overnight, but I'm saying that there's a path that we can go where we can rejoice along the way because God is at work. And he will not let the loyal one down if we can be patient and persevere. Amen or oh me? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And thank you 
that you love us and that you have placed the curse upon the cross. And as we look to you, Lord, it, it, it comes out of our bodies, comes out of our spirit. It leaves us because it's all been placed on Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your forgiveness. Thank you for the blessing of grace that empowers us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit whom you sent that you would fill us, Lord. Fill us. Fill this church as a body and each one of us individually that we may love you more and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen.